We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is November 4th. The Timberwolves are 4 and 1. They play the Milwaukee Bucks tonight, and I'm joined here in studio today by Britt Robson of The Athletic. Britt, I think we hit on what those five games have been this year. I also got some mailbag questions I was telling you about. We'll hit on those at the end. That's my format. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, what do you what do you want to do first? We got the I think you break it up into you wrote about this. The first three games were the Cat Vengeance Tour. Part two was the fight in Philly. What transpired from that? And then I think part three is what we saw in Washington on Saturday without Cat. Do one of those three areas particularly tickle your fancy? Let's work backwards. Okay. Um, I thought the Washington game was an interesting combination of uh, the strength of the new system, which I think is the biggest good news for Timberwolves fans, okay. and how absolutely wretched the Washington Wizards can be, <laughs> which is uh, kind of tempers the good news for Minnesota Timberwolves fans. I mean, that, that was one of those games where, as somebody who's covered the Timberwolves since 1990, I know bad teams, yep. and the Wizards that night, at least, played like a 15-win team. They played really badly. Uh, even Bradley Beal was missing a lot of shots and was smart enough to realize it and, and coax fouls. Right. Uh, so he, he got his 30 from the line. But uh, everyone else on that team was awful, and... The Wolves only had something to do with that. They didn't have a lot to do with that. Yeah, I think we're both, I know we're both generally optimistic or surprised in a, a good way about how this has started this year, but you and I have both written it that in our pat on the back columns we've written in the past week that it is worth acknowledging not only that Washington looked like a 15-win team, 
or is, isn't going to be a good team this year and certainly right. didn't play like one on Saturday. And if we're working backwards, Philly's awesome. Right. That's the game they lost, though. Yep. And then, you know, spin back to game three, which is Miami, no Butler. Charlotte is also looks like a 15-win team. And yep. They didn't have Cody Zeller. Right. And then that that first game against Brooklyn, as fun and exciting as it was, and it, it seems like Brooklyn played really well because Kyrie had 50. But I, I think, I and having rewatched that game, they were really broken up as to how to involve anyone else around Kyrie. And I think that's also sort of played out in the other, in Brooklyn's other games so far this year where it's... Ditto it's, Boston yeah, last year. I right. mean, that, Kyrie uh, has yet to figure out how to be a talisman of good play. He is uh, his own deal, you right. know, and so... So how four and one is this team? Well, I think the Miami win, even though... The Heat were on the back end of a overtime, back yeah, to back that. against a quality team. I mean, there's a lot of things about that game that favored the Wolves. But my goodness, the Heat looked fabulous. After seeing that game, I said, you know, the Heat are going to be really good this year. Yeah. And and sure enough, I mean, they, they just killed the Rockets last night. Right. It was 46 to 14 in the first quarter. Um so maybe we give a little more credit to that. I would give a lot of credit okay. to that because uh, that was a grit win, and lo and behold, Andrew Wiggins, you know, pulled three trays out of his rear end, and <laughs> you know that was important, obviously. Uh, but they also, what I would say is one of the things that has linked the first three games and the last game, in addition to adherence to the system, is resilience. Mm -hmm. I do think that. Uh, I wrote about this on the, the so-called cat uh, vengeance tour thing I wrote. Um, I'm not a guy, I'm not a sentimentalist. I'm not somebody who really puts a lot of stock in kumbaya stuff. And I was deeply skeptical of um, how important that was. And I, you know, it's very early. Who knows? I think the way you put it was it's real but not necessarily important. Yeah, and what... I, I don't think there's any question that the resilience of Brooklyn and the resilience of Miami, those two games, playing Brooklyn and playing Miami, um, has something to do with this vibe this team has. And I also think that as bad as the Wizards were, um, the ability of guys like Gorgie and Teague and Wiggins to step up and Covington, um, and do the job in a really confident, assertive way uh, has something to do with this vibe that this team has. Right. Well, it's at, at some point if I, if I'm trying to poke holes in these games, like what what am I what am I really asking for? Am I am I trying to say oh you should have beaten Brooklyn by 15 because they didn't have it? I mean they won the game. Right. They won the game and Miami on the road. And yeah, totally. So so credit where it's due. And they beat Miami too. So I don't to to poke holes in everything, it's just like what more exactly could have they done? They're they've been successful basically to the degree they possibly could have been, if we agree that Philly is just an absolute enigma for them. To figure out. Well, in my opinion, I've got Philly winning the finals. I've got Philly winning everything. Wow. Uh, I just think they're an amazing team. I mean, their roster, I adore their roster. I, it's just, they, there's not much they don't have. Right. 
you know, I mean, in this year, when Embiid is out, Al Horford as your center fits that system really well. I mean, you don't need Joel Embiid. They beat Portland on a last second three, granted, but on the road in Portland is a tough place to play, and you don't have Embiid, and you win anyway. I mean, they are legit. Special. They are legit. And uh, this is another test. I mean, that this the by consensus, the second best team in the Eastern Conference is, is tonight's opponent. Uh, and Milwaukee. Yeah, we're, we're recording this in advance of the Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee uh, will historically, uh, the last three years, two years, has just killed the Wolves ever since Bud arrived, Coach Budenholzer. So I think that uh, y- you're right. Four and one is a best case scenario. I would have had uh, two and three or maybe three and two optimistically um, without knowing besides Philly what the other loss would be. I would assume Brooklyn, maybe Miami, one of those games. I would have assumed them beating Charlotte – I would not have assumed them beating Washington if I knew that Cat was out. So um, there's only really one game where they have performed exactly as high, as sure. no better than I expected. They have performed better than I expected in four of the five games so far. I, yeah, I guess the, the way, reason I'm thinking about this is I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to acknowledge that it's good, has been good, and has exceeded my expectations, but at the same time not let that buoy what my expectations are for this game against Milwaukee and even, you know, Memphis on the road. And then this weekend, the the homestand, Golden State, Denver, and then a back-to-back heading to Detroit. I don't, I don't presume that they're going to necessarily keep up a, a winning, winning percentage if over that run. If they're seven and two, which, which is, they could be, which is possible. Exactly. Yeah. If they're seven and two in their first nine, they have yet to play a Western Conference team besides Memphis after that nine games. Well, and, no, Golden State. Oh, yeah, Golden and State. Denver. That's right. And there. Denver. Nine games, really? Well, so we've had five. The okay. next All one right. is All right. So nine and two. That's right. Well, well then <laughs> they, they will not be seven and two. They'll be six and three because I don't think they're beating Denver. Um, I don't know, man. Cat's back. Yeah. I'm just saying that doesn't. Yeah, that is not a that is not an L because in the way Kat, that Philadelphia yeah, is Kat, to me. Cat is a is is to Jokic what Embiid is to Cat. You know, is somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, okay. who is a, a, a nemesis. Um, but when it came to the Washington game, they took care of business in a manner that was um, a momentum booster, just like the Miami win and the Brooklyn win were momentum boosters. Um, Charlotte was just business as usual. And you could argue, I will argue it here, although I'm not sure how much I believe it, um, that Cat getting in a fight with Embiid is a momentum booster because everybody, you know, the Kendrick Perkinses of the world and the people who, who you know, regard whether or not you're a pussy by whether or not you're willing to wrestle somebody on the basketball court at a certain point in time and that incredibly progressive thinking. Um, <laughs> um, you know, that Cat th- will have those people kind of on his side now, and that's important. Cat likes people on his side. What and about so, for you? What, what, do you, what does me, that, cha- that happening change for you, if anything? The what fun. it changes for me is that um, 
again, it's yet another sign that this bohomi vibe that this team has, this kumbaya stuff. Um, Jeff Teague says, I'm riding with him. You know, Jeff Teague, the WWE guy, likes Cat in, you know, in the in his home tights. Um, and so uh, I think it shows a team that's together. And I think that in the past, um, that didn't necessarily happen. And so as far as the fight itself or whatever, uh, let's face it, you know, Embiid is a jerk. And uh, he was in the mood to play with Cat that way, uh, you know, to get inside Cat's head. The fact that he did is slightly concerning, but I think the spin on it is a good spin, which is a Cat's a new guy. He's not going to take this anymore. Um, and Embiid bringing in Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Butler doing that. I don't think that kind of thing is going to be as effective mm -hmm. as it might have been uh, even three weeks ago. Right. I think that that is one of the good signs of what's happened. And none of this does happen if the system wasn't being effective, if the team hasn't been buying into it, and if we didn't see a relatively... Because it has been the system, aside from CAT. Uh, there have been a, a numerous groups of uh, small-time contributions, you know, um, guys like Okogie and Von Ley and um, Chabaz Napier and Jake Lehman. That's been the biggest surprise for me. It, I mean, go down the list of all those guys have been... They've stepped up and been uh, what they should be. Given no more, no, no more, no less. I mean... Uh, I mean, they should. What they should be is what I'm right. saying. What 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 they were signed to be, they are filling those slots. Um, you would argue, I think, that uh, Layman has been better than that. I gave you all kinds of grief about Layman's defense until I looked at his defensive rating, which is really good. Uh, the eye test doesn't show that for me, but um, but you can't argue with the numbers. The numbers are phenomenal on Layman. I think for me. Vonley's been even more of a step in the right direction. Unselfish guy, yeah. Because well, you and I both were very skeptical of, okay, you turned on a multi-year deal to get back on the market. What does that mean for, what does that mean for the way you're going to play this year? Right. Because traditionally speaking, you know, putting up more numbers, getting more minutes leads to a bigger next contract. And he hasn't been like that at all. Not at all. Not at all. And watching the preseason, his defense looked really bad. Yep. And so then to see him come out and be committed to defense and effective, that I guess it's a smaller role than Lehman and Akogi because it was just 13, 14 minutes a night. But I, I thought those 13, 14 minutes a night were going to be dangerously bad. They were in the preseason. In the preseason because of, because of that and because just what my – prevailing opinion of Noah Vonley was. I thought I he think was that's meaningful. I thought he was a stat hunter. Mm -hmm. He certainly seemed that way. Most, I mean, I immediately didn't like him his first couple of years in the league when he would come in. And, you know, he, he, had a, he was a little bit ballyhooed as somebody who, you know, had a lot going for him. He was very young, which mm -hmm. always helps the hype. Uh, but even last year, even last year in New York. Right. It was. Well, New York is, you know, New York is a weird environment. And so he was stat hunting appropriately so, except he only got a one-year deal for $2 million. So <laughs> maybe not. Uh, I, I do think Lehman and, Co and Akogi, though, 
have also been maybe more meaningful because they're playing more minutes. Um, people who've listened to this or read me have know I've been very skeptical of Josh Okogie's jump shot right. and very interested in the how does he become a noticeably plus player without that because I just have the prevailing assumption that that's never going to really come into being a, a true weapon for him. But I don't think, you know, we, we throw 3 and D out there on anybody who tries hard on defense. And so the question for me with Josh Okogie is how can he be a really good player without the 3 and D? And I think that was possible. And is possible, and I think he's illustrated the ways that that can be. And the biggest thing for me is that I've seen is the distribution, which he started showing at the end of last year, right? Like that's kind of when that started coming to be. Yep. But but getting to the lane, pushing, putting pressure on the rim, and dropping off not only to Cat. I mean, it's been a lot of the highlight plays this year, so people have, I'm sure, have seen it. His his little drop offs to Cat for dunks. Jordan Bell had that big dunk uh, the other night. That's that's how you apply offensive pressure if you are a wing who can't shoot. Exactly. And, and he's doing that. And what was really funny was he got a charge right before he did it again without the charge. That's what was really fun was that... Uh, he's not afraid. He's not afraid, but also they went right back to it, and it was a, a beautiful flush that time. He did the uh, drive to the hoop. Somebody came over. And, you know, again, this is all prefaced on the idea the Wizards don't know how to play defense. But um, Okogi, because he is such a uh, happy-go-lucky-seeming guy, his court IQ is very underrated. Sure. Josh Okogi knows what he's doing out there sometimes. And the key to his elevation for me, is going to be when he doesn't let his zeal overtake his intellect. And that happens frequently when he does something disruptive and then decides he needs to finish it. Um, that's Which always is the been, manifestation of that is make a big steal and then go charge the way down the other side. You know, throw go one on three and yeah, uh, right. you know, try to avoid people as he charges into two of them and, <laughs> and he shoots an air ball. And then probably tries to get it back and go up again rather than, uh, you know, getting rid of the damn ball. How so, about him and Matisse Thibault just going at it? That was like— That was so much fun. They, <laughs> they stole the ball from each other like t three times. They are kindred spirits. They are kindred spirits, although I will tell you, this is another reason I love Philly. Thibault, I'm immediately in love with. I mean, that guy. Okogi is really, really good. Um Thighball is Thighball's got a little Kawhi in him. That 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 aspect of uh that stealth strength guy, you know. Okogi doesn't have that stealth. Okogi is just out there. What what I was listening to to Zach Lowe, which I'm still trying to get you on listening uh -huh. to his podcast. Um but that's the that's that's what Zach said. He said he thinks Thibault is the best rookie wing defender he's seen since Kawhi. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, you know and how much I better. admire Zach Lowe. I don't listen to podcasts, so um, I, that's the I'm the making point. you listen to the Zach Lowe and, and Zach Levine podcast. Yes, because that is, that is right I'm, up your I'm alley. such a Levine hater. Exactly. That's yeah, it's perfect. Know, it's a perfect. It is because I'm a, I admire Zach Lowe quite a bit. And I, as a human being, I think Zach Levine is aces. As a ball player, I think he is one of the worst defenders, if not the worst defender I've ever seen in the NBA. 
I'm serious. Yeah, no, that's uh, uh, that's hard. So you know, well, I mean, there's yeah. How does this guy with so much talent, you know, he was when he was in Minnesota. In my opinion, on him is, I'm even hesitant to say improve because it's that implies it's good, but it's better. It's better than it was. His offense has improved. I'm his not offense, sure his defense has improved. I think it helps that he's put on 25 pounds. I yeah, think at so. least. It he doesn't was, prevent him from turning his back on no, guys he should be guarding. No, that's that is still there. But being bigger and stronger and a better athlete for him, I think, is at least puts him in the way of of someone. And that was in Minnesota. That was not the case. He was a he was transparent defensively. Right. And this feels like Wiggins' excuses back in the you know last five years of Andrew Wiggins. I I agree. I understand what you're saying. Andrew Wiggins doesn't put on 25 pounds. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the idea that, you know, people would say, uh, well, Andrew Wiggins, you know, he improved his three-point percentage from 29 to 32 or something. (laughs) I mean, the justifications for Zach Levine being better on defense are moot as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's – I'm bumping him from the 0th percentile to the – Third percentile or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're wasting we, time. That's true. That's saying true. Zach Levine is a third percentile defender. Um, what about the what about the non-cat game and and how you mentioned that the system showed up there and I think we we're both very curious of okay, you're just going to go right back to the five out and the same exact way you're playing even though you don't have cat, which is such a critical element of playing that. It's he is the reason they're playing that way. The rest of the personnel should not be playing the style of basketball that they're playing. Exactly. And so to not have Cat and to stick with it showed, um, <laughs> I think I would have guessed would put them at a competitive disadvantage. But then sure enough, they're up by 25 points in the second quarter. And some of that was that you unleashed two guys who loved to pick and roll, which mm-hmm. is Wiggins and Jeff Jane. Teague. Oh, yeah. I was to say Jang, too. Yeah. No, I meant uh, yeah. initiate sure. pick and roll ball handlers. Um, and so Jeff Teague is, he's going to be an enigma all year as he has been most of his career with the Wolves, but, uh, well, okay. Go into that a little bit more. Well, he is always, I don't think it's going to be bad. This guy's natural skill set does not fit the system. Sure. And so he traditionally... Um, points per dribble is actually a stat on NBA.com. And, <laughs> and is, he is, is right up there, boy. <laughs> you know, now that Tom, Tony Parker is retired, he may be top five. He was like in the top 10, and there's a couple of people that are. But to see him the other night. That uh, part of his game's been better this year. That's been better. There's been less of that. And I thought particularly in the beginning of the Washington game when he knows, and we know this about Jeff Teague. Right away. First, when, first shot. First shot, no dribbles. No dribbles and a, a nice feed, top of the key three, which is what he should be doing And all he had the Trevion time. Graham on that cut. I mean, yeah. it was there. And we, what I was going to say is what we know about Jeff Teague is when guys are hurt, he understands that there is a big scoring load to, to be taken on. And he he's done that. He did that at the, the, the playoff year, 2017-18. When Butler went down, he's a big part of the reason why they made the playoffs there. Okay, so why is it? He's weird. He's weird. He's an enigma then. Sure. All I, right. So what I'm saying. doesn't mean he's bad. No, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying that uh, he is, his proclivities hold him back. Why 
can't Jeff Teague not hesitate on shots when Cat's in the game? I mean, what I, a concept. I don't, I don't have an answer what to that. What a concept. I mean, the why can't Jeff Teague— There's been Teague, less of it. There's been less of it this year. Yeah, he is down from, I think, seven dribbles per point to like four, eight or something, which is significant, mm-hmm. but still 4.8 dribbles per point or whatever. I can't remember. You know, that may be inaccurate. The, the, the right hesitation on the threes is inexcusable. The I understand sometimes when he prods into the middle of the lane and then comes back out and then comes back out, which is which the difference I've seen in that this year is he's been more decisive in like making a V in there where he's like gets to the nail and then and then gets back out to the like the opposite above the break area right there. If you can do that fast, if it takes. I'm not concerned about the amount of dribbles. I'm concerned about the amount of time he spends doing that. Good things can come of that, but it is anti-system. It it's throw, anti-system. It throws the the rhythm, but of it, this is an, team it is it is deeply and inherently who he is. Exactly. Which which is to your point, why he doesn't fit the system. Right. But what we know about Jeff Teague is he's not going to go away from what made him a successful point guard in Atlanta. He's playing basketball extremely similar. Always has. To, to how always has. I mean, it is a actually his outlier year to some extent was his lone last contract year in Indiana with uh, – he, he was in Indiana for one year with Paul George. Mm-hmm. And I think he played basketball the same way, though. He, a lot of uh, it, but if you look at the numbers, the numbers are a little different. And so – and also he was feeding a big on a contract year. There's still – there's going to be a Jeff Teague column in my future in the not-too-distant future – just because I think he's a fascinating figure on this team. You know, I, I was going through trying to find the one time when you wrote about that you coined the aggressive Jeff Teague thing yeah. in a column. And atonement Jeff Teague. Yes. So I, so I was trying to find that article, and so I'm just hitting Google Britt Robson Jeff atonement. Teague. Atonement. Yes. And you've written about Jeff Teague a lot. I know. There's like a, there's a, there's a handful of, for as relatively little as you write, yeah. the frequency. And it, that's probably because he is... He was such a defining, a, a bizarro defining character in the Tibbs he was. thing. And as you wrote at the beginning of this year is he's still here when all those other guys are gone. Are gone, you know, so. He's the last remnant. He's not a Chicago guy, but he's a Tibbs guy. And he, it was not a role that he necessarily welcomed. But then again, Tibbs doesn't, I mean, uh, Teague doesn't welcome almost anything. Sure. Uh, you know, he refuses to be typecast. So what did you think was I'm, – I'm just looking at this. Okay, yeah. Uh, not that this is the be-all, end-all stat, but that Indiana year was his, his best box plus minus and his his second best win shares per 48-minute season. Um, the only the only other year that was better was when he made the All-Star team. Yeah, that 60-win Atlanta team where four of them made it. I – I don't know. I, I remember going back and watching a lot of him when they signed him, watching a lot of Indiana Jeff Teague when they, they signed him because I, I just didn't feel like I had a good feel of who he was. It You know what? And I think it, to, oh, to my crazy. eye test, it's very similar. Jeff Teague never looks as good in the eye test as he does on, on paper. His assists are pedestrian assists most of the time. Unless the way Jeff Teague gets flashy assists is passing up hard in transition outlet passes quasi outlet passes somebody else gets a rebound gives it to Teague and he turns around and whips it um and then he's got this delicious little pocket pass he does when he's surrounded by bigs in the paint that is so much fun to watch um and 
usually happens when he feels like his floater is going to get blocked. Otherwise, he's just a weird guy. And his defense, his defensive numbers are always so much better than the eye test. He gets left in the dust constantly on on-ball coverage. They don't look very good at what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> but I agree. He's, he's not a... Right. His, and, his engagement on the defensive end, the consistency of that has never been there. Except that he is one of those guys that um, is an odd kind of gambler. He does come up with things or get in the way sometimes. But I think what he is, he's, he's kind of like a guess hitter in baseball. Looking curveball, sitting on a curveball, sitting on a fastball. Okay, like he's it. sitting on a certain move. And so as a result, if he gets wrong, whew, you know, he's gone. I I will not stand for his defense. I'm not <laughs> going to. Well, his defense that. has never been great. But his defense is not as ridiculously bad as what you would think sure. watching him play. I, I think this year and what, when he has played with Cat, something we've seen is it's got given him a lot of good. I saw it more so in the preseason when he would be involved in high ball screen actions with Cat. I think that's going to be profitable for him as a scorer. Because if he ever shoots it. No, but th- this one, like, what you're seeing the big do a lot on that is is be glued up to Cat's hip, right, when that screen's coming. And when Teague, when Teague rejects the screen, and then he just, he's had a, a direct line to the rim a lot where he's going to have a lot of easy buckets. And one of the things, if Teague ever shoots the damn ball, what happens is, is if Teague is out at the top of the key and he's made one or two of those, or at the top of the arc, I mean, mm-hmm. um, then they will jump Teague in in the hopes that they can trap him before he can dish to sure. the cat. And cat can fake the pass and and spin. And that's happened a few times too, where cat has a clear path on these pick and rolls where Teague is actually the magnet. I think the defense, if the defense decides to care about slowing down Jeff Teague, they can. They can. But if I'm coaching against the Wolves who are running high ball screen action with Cat and Jeff Teague, I'm not going to care about that. Exactly. And Until that- Teague makes you pay. And that's the big knock I have on him on offense is the guy doesn't make you pay nearly enough. He's a talented shooter. Um, I, think, I think he'll have his best true shooting season of his career this year. Well, uh, if he's... He, he likes to bitch and moan about how unhealthy he is or how dinged well, up he is. That's a question mark, yeah. Um, but I feel like he just – aggressive Jeff Teague, this is how we started this. <laughs> aggressive Jeff Teague, atonement Jeff Teague, which is the same thing. This is, this is what makes you realize that Jeff Teague can be really good. When somebody embarrasses Teague – he comes back and does something really good, and it happens so often. I mean, Jim Peterson read that thing I wrote and mentioned it on the air, and he's he buys it. You buy it. It's if anybody, you, everybody who's been watching, buys a lot it. of basketball sees yeah. Jeff Teague get embarrassed and goes, "Oh, here comes Jeff Teague," you know. Or if he gets angry the other night against uh, Washington, or was it my? I can't remember who it was, but he was angry at the way he was not getting calls. And so it was he was Philly, I think. Was it Philly? And he he like all of a sudden put up like a dozen points in four minutes or something. But it, whatever he's angry, that seems to. When he's angry or occur. atonement, whenever he has something invested, 
you know, beyond the, the, the principles of the game itself. Um, put it this way. One of the things that I really enjoyed about the Washington game was that um, Andrew Wiggins did not have blinders on. He was yeah. uh, surveying the entire court and playing total basketball, you know, wide open. Jeff Teague is the opposite. Jeff Teague is almost always surveying the entire court and doing things and isn't getting his. Wiggins almost always is getting his. The cool thing about Washington was that Teague was a little bit more aggressive and Wiggins was a little they bit more. They both slid more towards each other on that gradient. And if that happens on a consistent basis, because those are two veterans that have talent, yeah. um, the Wolves may be a lot better than I think. Not, you know, 500 team in my view, but uh, I called them for 34. Maybe they win five more games out of that. That's pretty good. Um, we have a, like I said, we have a couple of questions so maybe help us get through right. a, a few different things. How's and, that plan you had going? You know, it just, <laughs> it, we're getting through it. We talked about, All right. we hit on cat, we hit on the fight. We okay. hit on, we're doing, we're doing stuff. Okay. Um, I think this is an interesting one. Do you think Culver turned a corner? This is, comes from at the Sandman 22. Do you think Culver turned a corner last game or do you chalk up those 20 points up to a very bad wizards defense and the whole second half being garbage time? Definitely more the latter than the former. We just came from shoot-around press conferences where everybody wants yeah. to uh, pin a, a medal on uh, Jared Culver's uh, breakout side. game was used a lot. Yeah, breakout game, and and, and, not, and uh, Ryan, hey, to Ryan, Ryan's credit though, he was like, "I'm not." Ryan Saunders has been increasingly uh, uh, honest, but he was always kind of. I, I think what I like about Ryan is. Straight. It's like okay, he is. He answer. is. His defense of the system. Yeah, honest is actually a good way to say it. He is not following the easy meme. He is not. You know. Oh, Jared Culver got twenty. Therefore, Jared Culver is fine. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hate that kind of take. Yeah. I mean, right. it just. I detest it. Well, he just. And I, I and, think Ryan knows Jared Culver isn't hasn't been fine, and that doesn't show that he's. I mean, Jared Culver is struggling. And which, and Ryan also knows that's not an indictment either. Like that, that happens with rookies all the time. It's it can be, but very it isn't slow. a good look when you've traded Dario Saric to a team that is playing really good basketball, and you move up from eleven to six and pass on a couple of point guards are doing really well. Yeah. Just the whole circumstances make it more uh, I awkward. I think that's too reactionary. More awkward. Well. But react. I mean, five games is is reactionary time. What I'm saying, I'm not saying that Jared Culver is bad. I have the benefit of not watching college basketball, so I'm looking at Jared Culver in a vacuum. I also did see him in the preseason and was more impressed. He's been the opposite of Onley. He actually was pretty good. Yeah. I especially liked him uh, as a playmaker because he was playing point guard. He was he wasn't yeah, but playing that, on. He was initiating actions. That's why he was better in the preseason. His turnovers as a playmaker, regardless of whether you call him a two guard or a one guard or a three or whatever, have been awful in the regular season. I can't think of how many times it is maybe an actual turnover. It's a deflection. His passes are not getting through. You know, it sounds a lot like the five overall pick last year at the beginning of the year. Trey Young. I'm yeah. not saying he's going to go on to have the. No, I, I think mean Trey Young was probably the 
right. the rookie of the year of the second half of the season last year, but he started off awful. Yeah, but that's because Trey Young is a flamethrower. No, if it Jared was, Culver, well, Trey no, Young was struggling is, with, with turnovers and passing the ball at the beginning of last season. But if you can put up 30 points a game or 28 points a game, you're going to get the space to make those passes work. Sure. Jared Culver is not that kind of a shooter. Yes, I agree. So, so I think that would be an optimistic take. I think... I'm not... It's not my take. I'm not... No, I, I don't. I don't see and, it moving and, that direction. And to I'm your just point, saying, to yes. your point... Rookies in their first five games have a tendency to have their entry passes get intercepted a lot because the schemes are better, the players are bigger, quicker, faster. And that, um, that relates to their shooting, too. Now, yeah. the concerns that we have about his shooting are not necessarily about bigger, faster defenders closing out on him and, and giving him less space. It's mechanical. Yeah, and that, to me, the greater concern now, I, I flagged that a few times because it was very obvious to me and actually, you're the one that kind of hit me to it and said, because you're you're a shot doctor-oriented watcher of games. And um, I'll take it. I knew something was a little off uh, with his, but then watching how it was all arms. Um, I think that's a product of moving back to the three-point line. I think be. it'll look different. If he starts working in pick and roll and getting into a 15-foot range, I think the shot will look a lot okay, better. But my point isn't, I, I no longer, my... Bad shooting is not at the top of my fix-it list now. What's at the top of my fix-it list is figuring out ways to get him comfortable with the upgrade in physicality in the NBA. And maybe that is uh, putting him in situations. You've argued that he should be more of a point guard in those situations. I just think he'll be more comfortable there. Well, I, I agree with you. Um, but I think that's a that's a high risk, high reward thing that both would happen. Um, I think he can play as I think he can. Him and Shabazz Napier when they're on the floor together, there can be a more even split of who is initiating the action when those two are on the floor together. There's I, not a, there's not a ton of bandwidth out there for Jared Culver to to play quote unquote. Except point what's interesting is that. When Napier and Teague are out there, Teague is the combo in the system, mm-hmm. and Napier is always the point guard. But Napier, but that's not what Napier's always done. Last year, it was it was the inverse of that. Russell right. was the guy, was the point. Napier was the combo. Same thing in Portland. I agree. No, I mean I'm I'm well versed in, and and I actually think you've done a great job of chronicling Napier's comfort as a two guard, statistically backing it up, um, and predicting that the Teague-Napier combo would be a good thing to to work with. Looking at the roster, I thought that was foolish. You have been definitely more right about that than I have in limited minutes, but I think it's something that Ryan Saunders likes in his toolkit. Um, Well, it's very Brooklyn. All that said, I think that that certainly gets in the way of Culver getting time at the the point guard. And also, I think... I have yet to see Culver spend a minute as the point guard. Um, well, Washington game, but but even then, that was. I mean, I, if, no, no, if, if you're I, talking about uh, uh, bombing from three as your point guard, I mean, the the media at this uh, shoot around uh, today were making a, a positive big deal about him taking 17 shots, and uh, and everybody agreed that they were good shots. I would argue 
that just because somebody is open, it's my whole complaint with Okogie too. Everybody's saying, well, Okogie should shoot when he's open and Culver should shoot when he's open. No. I mean, not if you're... We have already... Okogie has demonstrated yeah. how Okogie can be better if he isn't jacking up threes by putting it on the deck and feeding people off the dribble. From what I understand and saw a little bit of in the preseason, Culver is a good finisher when he has the seam and can dish off the dribble. Um, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I'm saying putting him in situations. If he's doing that quasi, you know, dribble driving but giving up the ball at 15 feet, you mm -hmm. know, that's where he's getting a lot of his turnovers right now. That's true. So I think the first Jarrett, good Jarrett Culver game is going to be informed not by him being the point guard because just because I don't think they're going to do that exactly. a lot. It's going to be by him finding confidence and a spark from being defensively active, getting getting runouts and you know kind of letting the defense inspire the offense. I think whenever that first good game is, the actual breakout game, that's what will have happened in the I first I agree with quarters. you 100%. I think that Culver hangs his hat on his defense. That's what he presented himself as in our initial press conferences with him. Sure. Um, he likes the idea that, you know, he knows he isn't talking about guarding one through four anymore because he sees what the fours look like <laughs> and the threes for that matter. So he doesn't have to. No, thank goodness. No. And so, but, but can he be disruptive on defense once he gets some confidence and once he begins to acclimate to the speed and, and physicality of the NBA game, I, I, I think so. Now, during the Washington game when people were anointing him as, hey, Culver's fine, and I kept on saying he's, I, I'm still concerned about him, and people were, oh, you know. It just reminded me so much of when I had doubts about Wiggins and Levine, and people would say, he's 19, or he's a rookie, mm -hmm. or he's only in his second year, he's only in his fourth year, and he's only 22. Um, yeah. The point being, watch what's in front of your eyes. Did Jared Culver have a good game against Washington? Well, his three-point shot was going down. I will say that. Um, if you're asking me to score individual performances against that wretched defense, I'd put him about seventh, right. maybe I, eighth. I agree with that. I, the, the one part of it that – the other part of the eye test that we're fortunate to be able to see is the non-basketball time. Yes. In, you know, being in the locker room, just being around practice, seeing, seeing them operate as humans at work. Right. And I think – this is just my speculation. I think that is going to be a real adjustment period for him, perhaps more than any other lottery pick will be this year. And that's that's okay. That's not on him to do. I've, I've said this before. I think there is a, a real human difficulty to having grown up in Lubbock, Texas his whole life, gone to college at Texas Tech in Lubbock for two years, and then moving to... Minnesota. I don't. I don't see him having a social comfort in the the people he's around right now, right. and you know, and th that might not be all on him. That that could be. You want to talk about leadership from Cat or from some other guys? Maybe Andrew Wiggins. Like he needs a little bit of uh, come under my wing. I, that I think that could go a long ways with him. Normally, I think that stuff's sort of overrated, but just 
when I watch him in in the locker room, he's got those he's got his big white headphones on all the time. Right. And I mean, all the it's it's weird in NBA locker rooms these days where everyone's just not sitting there on their phone. Right. But but you know what it's like? They yep. they, they, they start talking exactly to each other. Mean. Like Jarrett is in his he is very much in his lane, and to build confidence, I think he needs to step out of it. And Cat doesn't like quiet guys. He loves Okogi. I mean, Cat and Okogi loves, And the are, same thing, reason he loves Jordan Bell and Covington. Yeah, no, that's There you go. One. I mean, he likes the gregarious personalities. But in terms of mentorship, he took a personal need to mentor Kogi last, Okogi last sure. year, and that's continued through. And Okogi, well, he should with Jared Okogi Culver. is is Cat's lieutenant now. I mean, Kogi, <laughs> if Cat says something, Okogi is right there with it, you know. Sure. And so, and that's wonderful for both of them. Quite frankly, that's a relationship. I, I which is all to say, I think if I'm looking for an o, uh, a Culver mentor, it's too bad he won't be around for very long. But Teague is right there, and Teague likes his game. You know, um, you know who I've seen it be, and again, I see a fraction right. of the total team yep. interactions. Yeah, you no, know, but you're around a lot. Gorgie Jang. Uh huh. Well, I, good. I, I've seen that, and and he's a vet. I mean, Gorgie was twenty turning thirty. Like, yeah. I think he gets it. I think he is recognizing that Jert's not totally comfortable. Right. Yeah. And um, that's. I don't know. Maybe it needs to be a, a bigger. And that will be person, good because Gorgie and Wiggs are tight. I mean, they For have sure. always been tight. They're great on the bench together. They're always laughing on the bench together when they have a moment, you know, sit with each other. We didn't Wiggs, even give Gorgie enough props when we were talking about the. the oh yeah, well, 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 I mean, it, we both like Gorgie. Yes. I mean, I I have uh, I've been a longtime fan of Gorgie Jeng's uh, strengths, and I think his weaknesses are overrated. I, I think his hundred percent, um, mostly because his former coach. <laughs> But also, I mean, Ryan has not been kind to Gorgie. And um, I would say System over personnel. uh, Yeah, except, you know. I think he he can play in the system. I don't don't get it. I don't don't get it. It's going to be something I'm going to become frustrated with, whether it's Gorgie or the other bigs. If if they don't don't start playing two bigs, it is. See, I'm a a, – you – uh, I, I'm a system overall guy. Sure, and the, can't we can't we do the system overall and have my, minor tweaks along the way? Like when we when, we had this discussion before we got on the air. I would say if you have three or four minutes where you can plug in to stop the bleed, that's all I'm asking. All right, I that's think, all I'm asking. Maybe like when, when you're down 32 to 12 in rebounds in the first half. Exactly. That's that might be a time where you, you go. just want to say, hey, we can do this counterpunching uh, for a very short period of time. Who doesn't do that? Give me a team who just says, nope, we're doing our system the entire time no matter what. No one. No one does that in the NBA. Well, I mean, let me think about that for a minute because I, I do think that— I don't think uh, so. Not to the degree we've seen it yet. It's only been five games, so right, caveats right, there. Right, right. And maybe we will see it. But if in this Milwaukee game, they're getting bru- – they don't have – they continue to not want to put Covington on the point so he's not guarding Giannis out there, stuff like that. Like, Noah Vonley. Have Noah Vonley on him. Try, try see, other different th- things. This, this might be a bad example because I really enjoyed the way Covington and Cat played Giannis and, and Brooke Lopez in that final preseason sure. game. I mean, they were switching – uh, now that'll be interesting to see, because Cat is switching much less in the real games than he was in the preseason, Very much so. and being much better. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think that's a bad thing. But Jesus, it's, good it's luck my- on rim protection against Giannis. I mean, it's just impossible. I yeah, I don't want to get 
too much into that game because yeah. I think people will probably be, be listening, listening to this after, after that slaughter. <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be a slaughter if if they put Covington on him early and Covington gets in foul trouble, and and they can't they they can't adapt along those lines and they end up just going with Jake Lehman on him or something like that. I think that you have to put. If I were to ask for a person to be put on on him, I would say in order: Vonley, Covington, Okoye. I so I I watched um, this morning. I was watching Milwaukee's last game against Toronto, and Siakam got in foul trouble, was struggling with Giannis early. What a shock! And you, you know who did the best job on Giannis was OG Ananobi. Uh huh. And I mean he's he's a very good defender, but it's I, I think teams when they put a bigger guy on Giannis. So this is kind of counter to my two bigs thing. That's more just a prevailing uh-huh. thing. They try and get a little bit more physical with him, which which leads to more fouls, and Giannis's ability to continue through the foul is elite, maybe the best ever. And I, I think sometimes what you just need to do is have a decently strong but agile wing defending him. And I think Trevion, I'm interested to see what Trevion Graham does on him. I think that will be a, a lot of the matchup. He would be the OG and Anobi. If, right. if that one game is telling, right. which it, that's unfair. But that, that's I'm watching OG and Anobi guard Giannis every time, and I go... I think Trevion Graham could do that. That said, I think Ananobi might be four, three, four inches taller than than Trevion Graham, and probably has seven inches of wingspan. So that's and and then the other thing is you don't have Marcus Saul on his team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, you're right. You know, if you have somebody who can be there, uh, so that when he overpowers you down low, somebody shifts over. I almost like the idea. Of a big on him like a Vonley. The reason I mentioned Vonley, I think I like either, the second after that is to force Giannis to shoot from outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the only way you come close to stopping Giannis is um, making him shoot more than a third of his shots outside the restricted area. Sure. Uh, I- and I think if Vonley is on him, they try that. Um, that was very much my stance with Philly too. If you played him again, is is I think if you that would be the best option is to have Bond maybe Al Horford, you know, bait Embiid or uh, Hal Horford. Okay, yeah, right, right. Like the the example I was using was the Philly Boston series from two yes, years ago, exactly, where they went with Horford or Baines over those guys. Speaking yeah. of which, Baines, whoo man, <laughs> he's a key to um, Philly's. I you, mean, uh, Phoenix's rise here. Did you watch him in the? Did you watch the Golden State Phoenix game? Yes. Baines looked like Wilt Chamberlain against. I mean, it was Golden State. That was the biggest indictment of Golden. That was pre-step. Was step was playing in that I game. Know, I know. Oh my gosh! But Aaron Baines learned a lot in the Celtic system. He yeah. improved so much. Well, you when we argued a bit about you, you believed more in um, Phoenix and Memphis going into the year than I think I did, they're good teams. Which has there's not proven, a bad team in the West. It's proven to be accurate. So another one of the questions is from Bradley Phil Smith is where do the Wolves fall in the Western Conference power rankings now considering their hot start and disappointing starts slash injuries from Golden State and New Orleans? I'd still put them in the third tier of four tiers. I think they're ahead of Sacramento. I still think they're ahead of Memphis. I do no You didn't have them ahead of Sacramento to start though. No. Well yeah. Oh and five okay, starts will saying. do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean also uh Two and five now. Some people are are hurt, and and you know it's just not a good team. Yeah, uh, they they they're 
you heard me say this before the podcast as well, but I I partly blame Luke Walton, which I who I regard as very overrated as a coach. I think he's a feel good coach, and I think that the only time you have feel good coaches is when you have a self regulating high culture team that just needs their egos managed. Um, as Golden State, that's mm-hmm. why he was so successful there in his stint. But he wasn't successful in Los Angeles because um, it, 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 it required more than he's that. He's just not a good coach, and um, you know. So we moved them. We moved them below the wolves. Yes, I moved them below the wolves. Uh, New Orleans, which was my pet team, uh, has had a lot of tough losses, but they also are losing, and losing, and losing. So I've got to think they're one and five as we record this. Yeah, and I got to think that they they may turn it around, and they certainly get much better with Zion back. But they, Favors has missed time, and who else Favors has missed time? is not only when Favors when Favors is healthy, or maybe he's just never been healthy. I got to think that's part of it because this whole idea of uh, Jamil Okafor getting huge minutes um, that's hurt them. I mean, Favors. One of my favorite things was going to be the favor Zion front court just killing people uh, with physicality um, and then having – but since we're on New Orleans, I love New Orleans, uh, but one in five is – and one in five is, is you so, have to acknowledge. I mean, it's six games. Do you Golden think the Wolves State win more? Golden State is below the – Yes. I think, I think of, of how it was that Vegas had it before the season, you had Sacramento and Golden State were both above Wolves in projected win total, and I think it feels safe – to me, to put them both below the Wolves now. I agree with that. So then the next questions become, I think the next one, New Orleans. I think that's a push right now because the Wolves already have three games. Okay, Um, if I I had to press you to pick one team to win more games this year. New Orleans. I think that's, it's close. Yeah, I I think so. Just because, I mean, man, that's like, that's got so much talent on that team. And I'm, as I was saying at the beginning of the pod, I'm just, I'm not totally sold on what's happened in the first five games for the Wolves. Oh, at all. I mean, not even you're aware basketball yeah. mind. I mean, come on. I they think some played. people, I think some people don't listen to us talk about this are like, have you watched the Wolves? And I'm looking at the standings right now as they're dumb in the two slot and the Pelicans are literally in the very last one. I mean, it, there's just a lot. Hey, of time I left. will a lot be of time left. happy. Totally. Nothing would be better than to come on here in three weeks and say, I was totally wrong right. about this team. Right. They have not played. They played probably the easiest schedule in the NBA, right up there. Mm-hmm. Miami on the end of a back-to-back, you know, impressive as that was because Miami's really good. Sure. But Brooklyn, uh, a team that is trying to adjust to Kyrie, Charlotte and Washington, come on. I mean, Charlotte and Washington both would have lost that game playing against each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, they are Bad, bad teams. Is there anyone else in the West right now that you can I make think a that pitch they will the still beat Phoenix. Phoenix is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, is okay. really looking good. I was assuming that but we're those putting are the them teams over Memphis. In the fourth tier. Yeah. I Memphis, would say and that, Memphis and Phoenix taking the Wolves over. Okay, right Memphis, Phoenix, but I think Phoenix is going to be along with Phoenix, New Orleans, and the Wolves are in their own little subgroup of teams that – are not going to make the playoffs, but maybe really interesting. I, I think the Wolves will win more games. You said 38. Sure. Th- 37. At the 37. Of the year. Okay. And I'd probably bump that up to like 
38, 39 now. I okay. would. Um, but so the, the teams we, I for sure have them over are Memphis, Phoenix, Sacramento, and Golden State. Yes. At this juncture. And I would say of those four teams, Phoenix is the best of those teams. Agreed. The the next interesting one, and you you picked Oklahoma City before them. Yes. Before the season started. Oklahoma City is going to be really good. So we definitely have them ahead of the Wolves. I think so. I think I, Oklahoma I'm, City. I picked them. I picked the Wolves over them before the year started, and now having, I've watched two of their games. Uh, yeah, it's they, they they got some pieces. I should that's have starting that. five: Stephen Adams, Chris Paul, Andre Roberson, Terrence Ferguson, or Shea, GSGA, yeah, um, and Gallinari. Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean, that's a really good team. I've always liked Nerlens Noel too, more yeah. than his uh Yeah. And and so and he played last night uh a lot of minutes. I don't know if Adams was hurt. I kept coming in and out of that game, that early game yesterday where they beat New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Another tough loss of New Orleans. Yeah. But um Chris Paul does not like to lose. Right. And uh I don't remember the last Chris Paul team that face planted themselves. They do in the playoffs all the time. But I the, mean, if there's an argument for it to happen, it would be now that he's 34 rather than any other and he previous definitely, time in his career. When he came back from injury last season, I, he looked awful. But uh, if his role is reduced and he's not just uh, Harden's lunch bucket guy, I think I like his role on this team. I, I think he sees himself as the alpha leader on this team. Sure. And I think Adams is certainly happy to let him have it. And Gallinari has always been like a journeyman anyway. Mm-hmm. SGA, SGA is looking great. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, and Presti's got a million picks. Why would they trade anybody? That I get back to that is they have so many picks. There's definitely an answer to that. It is that you are getting a young asset back in the trade that you are getting not just draft they picks have enough. not just what about D'Angelo Russell for them why why wouldn't that be attractive if you're Oklahoma City oh yeah but no I, I'm talking that about that type of thing that which I could see them making that type yeah, of yeah but thing. everybody was saying they picked New Orleans as one of the worst teams in the West because they would dump players no Oklahoma City yeah Oklahoma I, City. I, that was part of my part of my reason and that's what I'm saying is why would they they already have enough great picks I mean they I don't have know if enough why not thing as win having now enough. I don't know if there's such thing as having talk enough. to Danny Ainge yeah, how'd that work? He had too many picks. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, fair, fair, fair. I, I think, but they could have they could have repurposed those in in a better way. To I, if if I'm Sam Presti, I'm trying to to have as many assets as I can, not necessarily to go draft someone, but to be the guy who, when as we know is going to happen in the NBA, so CJ McCollum is wants out or whoever that may be. Right. Those those type of things. I think Karis LeVert next year is not going to be in Brooklyn. That is just. I think the tea leaves suggest that. Be have have the the fattest wad in in the league and be able to say, yeah, okay, we'll take it. But why not already have a fat wad and a great complement of players? Because why not better? Why not be better? Because you don't need the wad. You need the great complement of players to get the guy who wants to come. Just in free agency. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's. I think, and then you do a sign and trade. The guy says, "I won't go anywhere but there," and then you go that's to that a, team. And that's you a risk, particularly. I don't think that's a risk that I would take. Banking, I wouldn't take the risk of banking on that when my team is in Oklahoma City. My best player is thirty-four. 
And I mean, it's so it's Shay. You need to have Shay turn into a a star star, maybe that they want to attract him there. I think you go and buy it. You go and buy the guy. I think that Sam Presti, again, has proven this is a guy who back-to-back-to-back years drafted MVPs. I think he knows what he's doing. And I I think think he knows what he's doing too. So if you have the advantage, he's been far better in the draft than he has been in trades. Sure. I mean, what they got for Harden was Steven Adams. You know, not a fair trade, but at the same time, what you got in that draft pick, you know, wow, you know? And so Oklahoma City is going to be fine if they stand pat and play with the team they have right now. And they may make noise in February in an improvement way rather than a tear-it-down way. And then they will still walk into the 2020 draft and the 2021 draft and clean house. They're going to be a fun, fun team, as is New Orleans. You know, I mean, the West. See, that's why, and, and we won't get into this for very long, but Golden State thinks that they can immediately retool spin and be right back as one of the top two or three teams in the West. No way. That team is... No way? No way. I don't know about... How old is Draymond? How many minutes has Curry got on him? Clay, those guys are going to need a depth that other teams have. They have no depth. Yeah, right now. We're talking about into the future, though, right? Yeah, we're talking about... How does New Orleans' depth look in the future? How does OKC's depth look in the future? How does Denver's depth look in the future? How does Utah's depth look in the future? All much better than anything Golden State's going to be able to pull off. Yeah, and I'm going to bet on the talent of Steph, Clay, and Draymond at the top before I'm going to take the team with the better depth. Into the future and and have another have another summer where you're not hard capped. We'll see. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't think it's ridiculous. Oh, Golden State is hard capped forever. Well, no, they're they're literally hard capped right now because they had this they made a sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell. They will not be hard capped next year. Then they, they can go back into luxury tax into the future in, in years beyond that. And oh, they will okay, because they're that's be right. printing I, I am, money. I am misconstruing they, they I should never go, I should never of- talk salary cap with you. I was thinking uh luxury tax rather than hard cap. You're right. You know, they're literally hard capped where they can't add anything this and that was the they weren't going to be able to retool this year. They will be able to retool in the future in ways. And they're just gonna have a very good core of Draymond, Clay and Steph, plus then you have D'Angelo Russell, which I think when all four of them together, that's a good team, or that D'Angelo Russell asset is repurposable, not necessarily to the Timberwolves as much as everyone wants that, but to someone to bring in another another fourth piece there. That team could be damn good. It's a ton of minutes. It's a ton of minutes. That's fair. That, that, there's certainly, there's certainly counter arguments, but... Paul George and we'll Paul George and Kawhi out. have played a ton of minutes too. I mean, we'll, see, we'll see how it plays out. That's yeah, there. There are definitely more immediate questions. I didn't to be even answered. mention the Clippers in the future. You notice that? Two years. They only got two year window that's here. That's what I'm saying. Right? No, that's true. But that's yeah. I don't know. We will see. This this year's been, I, I typically fun. Typically fun. I. It seems particularly enjoyable. Maybe that's just the beginning of the year to to tune in to see these new teams that you haven't seen in a while, and so many teams are different than they were yep. 
uh, a year ago that makes it exciting. I know, and the great part of it is for people who only watch the Wolves, we've been looking at the Eastern Conference, and they're by far the most boring conference. That's true. The West has all the great teams. They have and the Milwaukee. And that's precisely why I think the Wolves enjoy it. I, people should take my pessimism. This is my usual caveat when I get going because people are knee-jerk <laughs> knee and they don't take big-picture things. Um I am enjoying this four and one as a guy who's covering the oh. beat. Why wouldn't you want the team you're covering on the beat to win as many games as possible? You get more readers. You have a better brand of basketball in front of you. People are the far players and coaches are, are far, far, far more, more willing, willing to answer your questions. Uh, the whole thing is just a better experience. But I'm loving it too. I'm loving it too. You will not play a quality Western Conference team until you go to Denver. In the afternoon, or is it here? It's here. Okay, on a Sunday afternoon game. So what's that? Two weeks from Sunday or a week from no, Sunday? No, this Sunday. That's this Sunday. Oh, the, is these it? are the next five. Monday, Monday, Milwaukee, Wednesday at Memphis, Friday home Golden State, Sunday home Denver, then they fly to Detroit for a back to back Monday. Okay, so that that Denver it's game getting a little more interesting. That Denver game will be fun because they have a day after a home game, which will be the first time this season that they've had that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have had two one-game homestands. And in theory, Golden State's the worst team in the NBA. Are like right up there, right I down mean, there. Well, Charlotte beat them the other night, so there you go. You know, Charlotte was favored by five points in that game on the road. You got to give Vegas. Vegas <sighs> is although Vegas blew it on the uh, Miami Houston game. They had right. Houston minus three for that game. Probably they they disrespected Miami. Yeah. It. Yeah, my point is, I think they could beat up Golden State. And have one of those games where Cat only needs to play, you know, twenty six minutes, twenty eight minutes a game, or that game, right. and then be fresh for Sunday afternoon. And they have Jokic, who Cat uh, likes to beat up, mm -hmm. and um, he's yeah. the Cat to his Embiid. Yeah, exactly. And so you're right. It, uh, it'll be interesting to see the line for that game, but and Denver has Philly their game right before that, not a oh, back to back. But interesting. They, that yeah. is interesting. Well, but Denver has depth and. It would be very, very hard for me to expect or anticipate a Wolves win even at home. Against it wouldn't Denver. be difficult for me. I don't think it's, you know, gun to my head, I'm picking Denver in that game, but I think it's, reading you, I, I think it's closer to 50-50 than you might assume. But I, I do think I'm generally lower on Denver than everyone else. Not that I think they're bad, but... I think they're the number two seed in the, in the West this year. Not for me. Behind Utah. Behind you? What about the L.A. teams? Uh, third and fourth, respectively, Oof. Clippers and Lakers. I don't know about that. That's another podcast. Yep. Um, all right. Well, we're off to the. Well, I guess we got a couple hours, but we're off to the. Yeah, Wolves I'm gonna go work out. Game. Actually, there you go. Um, Britt is at the Athletic. You can uh, follow his column work there. Him and his partner John Krasinski. You can follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. We get a, when's your next column coming out? Thursday. Thursday. Thursday, the, what would that be, the 7th? 7th? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll have something coming up here too, and Charlie and I will be back talking on this pod, reacting to the Milwaukee and Memphis games on Thursday as well, so stay tuned for that. Check out what we got at zonecoverage.com. I'll we'll have plenty of stuff here throughout the season, at least while this team is interesting. <laughs> and uh, even when it isn't. And even when it isn't, that, sometimes that makes it more interesting too. Um, until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. 
know I'm feeling it. I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.